Welcome to Puro Politics, the political podcast of San Antonio Express News. My name is Gilbert Garcia, Metro columnist, and I'm joined by Metro editor Greg Jefferson, Nancy Prayer Johnson, deputy editorial board editor. And uh, in a minute, we're going to talk about what's going on on the border, uh, in, specifically in Eagle Pass and uh, Department of Justice really at war with uh, Governor Greg Abbott over his Operation Lone Star policies. But I wanted to start with uh, some breaking news uh, this morning, which is that that San Antonio uh, is apparently joining Houston in a lawsuit against the Texas over HB 2021-27, which is, uh, has been called the Death Star Bill. Uh, Greg, could you talk a little bit about what's happening? And, and I, I, we, we've talked about this bill a little bit on the podcast in, in uh, recent oh, sure, weeks, yeah. but can you... Uh, yeah, we, we saw this coming for a while now. Uh, so in the last regu- regular legislative session, uh, the House and Senate passed HB 2127, which basically says, okay, cities, if you're going to pass new regu- regulations in a whole host of areas, agriculture, business and commerce, uh, local government, uh, finance, you've got to get clearance essentially from, from the legislature before you do so. Before, um, it was, if, if it's not addressed in state law, just you can kind of do it. <laughs> you know, it was, it was very kind of informal and, you know, vague, vague, vague super vague. Yeah. And cities just kind of operated on this home rule basis for decades and decades. Uh, so, uh, particularly large cities around the state, you know, San Antonio, Houston, Austin, Dallas, Fort Worth, uh, they view this as a direct assault on, uh, home rule tradition in, in Texas, which gives a great deal of authority two cities over the state. Uh, and it is that, <laughs> basically. I mean, they're not wrong about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the argument for the bill, um, is that Justin Burroughs out of, um, out of uh, Lubbock, was that uh, businesses that do, uh, or companies that do business across the state need regulatory consistency. So they need rules that, that, uh, that are the same from city to city to city to keep their administrative uh, costs down. Um, you know, it's there may be something to that, but um, yeah. So uh, Houston was the first to legally challenge uh, the state over this. They sued. I believe it was earlier this month. My dates are terrible. Was it late last month or earlier? Sounds yeah. Right. yeah. And now we have San Antonio. Uh, at this point, um, you know, it's uh, the mayor uh, and city attorney Andy Segovia will be talking soon about the lawsuit. It's not clear to me whether they're joining Houston in their lawsuit or whether uh, this is an action the city's taking on its own. Either way, they're going for that law. They're, they want it declared un- unconstitutional. And it would, go, it would go into effect September 1st. So I'm, I'm right. going to try to get an injunction to try to right. prevent this. From- yeah, yeah. Yeah. A TRO so they can fight, you know, just so uh, the status quo is maintained until it gets some kind of resolution in court. One of the things that, that has come up as just an example of how um, problematic this can be mm-hmm. uh, for local communities who want to be able to govern themselves mm-hmm. is uh, the, uh, the idea of construction workers getting water breaks. Mm-hmm. There has been talk on city council about passing an ordinance that would require uh, water breaks for construction workers in the horrible San Antonio heat. Mm-hmm. Um, and... There was, there's been the sense, and, and again, I think there's the, the language of the, of the state law is, is kind of vague, but there's been some concern that, uh, 
they would be they would be city would be prevented from doing something like that. Yeah, that's a huge issue. I know the Express News had a story recently about um, someone who died. And I mean, construction workers do die. And, you know, I can see why city council members would want to have, you know, these um, these policies that will try to help, you know, try to help those construction workers. But there's a lot of different issues Mm -hmm. um, that this really ties their hands. And of course, it's all political. Yeah. They just don't want them to have any power at all. Right. In, in the case of water breaks, so there was an ordinance that was kind of mm. getting moving mm. in yeah. the city council committee system mm. uh, that would have mandated, uh, you know, I think it was a 15 minute or 10 minute water break every four hours for mm-hmm. construction workers. Uh, in a city council, in a council committee meeting uh, earlier this month, the, the four members on hand watered it down basically mm. because of HB, you know, they thought mm-hmm. that doing anything broadly to affect every private sector construction company would be a violation of HB 2127. At the time, um, you know, a majority of the council members uh, wanted to pursue this lawsuit that would, would got filed. It looks like late last week. It seems like it's always already in the works. But... Um, you know, maybe they weren't looking for water breaks to be a test case. So they they changed kind of this, the idea for this ordinance uh, to include only city contractors. So if a construction company uh, is doing bond work, for example, uh, you know, bond projects mm-hmm. for the city, then the rules will apply to them. Uh, this, you know, city council is going to take up this ordinance likely in August, mm-hmm. we'll see if it gets expanded again. Yeah. I mean, uh, but that's kind of the state of play right now. And what's been going on with, I mean, this is really the kind of the culmination, the state law of, uh, you know, a battle that's been going on between the state and big cities. Big cities in Texas uh, mm-hmm. tend to be uh, more more blue, more progressive, and our, our state government is more, more conservative and Republican. And so you've had battles over paid sick leave ordinances in, uh, in, in Austin and San Antonio where the, you know, the state has tried to, to nullify those. We've had the battles over uh, non-discrimination ordinances. So this is kind of, I think this is what's been building for a while and, and, mm-hmm. and it, it culminated with HB 2127. Want to talk a little bit too about uh, updates on the uh, the question of the of a Spurs arena. And again, this is we know this is something that's going to be years in the making. If this happens, mm-hmm. but it's a fascinating issue. And um, you know, Greg, we talked last week about the story that you co wrote about the the idea that that the Spurs were interested in uh-huh. in in new downtown arena, possibly with a a baseball stadium for the missions. Mm-hmm. Since then, you've you've worked on on uh, you've reported that Spurs have had conversations with City Manager Eric Walsh, right? And actually, we were pursuing that obviously uh, for the first story. We just didn't, you know, yeah. we, we, it was talk about a cone of silence. <laughs> wow! <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, so uh, we very, very, very strongly suspected that the Spurs had already been meeting with City Manager Eric Walsh. Uh, last week, we got confirmation from Walsh that, yeah, they'd met twice. Uh, the message from from Eric Walsh, though, was nothing to see here <laughs> or mm-hmm. or more more accurately. No news right now. We have other priorities for downtown, that being improvements at the Alamo Dome, expanding uh, the convention center and kind of completing Hemisphere, mm-hmm. uh, Hemisphere Park, um, which is not to say that they're not talking about a downtown arena and possibly a downtown stadium uh, district, which would 
potentially include a new baseball sa- stadium as well for uh, the San Antonio missions. One of the things that's really interesting about this is is the potential for tension between the city and the county because the county, right. the uh, AT&T Center, the existing home mm-hmm. for the Spurs, this was the county's baby. And right. if the city is, is even beginning to pursue something uh, mm-hmm. new, uh, that's not going to, it's going to be so, tough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh, County judge Peter Sakai, um, I, I don't think he was aware that the city was talking with the Spurs. I think he was, uh, kind of caught off guard. Um, and yeah, I mean, obviously the county's got to be deeply concerned about losing their anchor tenant at the AT&T center. So the county owns this thing. Uh, if the Spurs leave, it's not the, you know, the site's not going to implode. It's not mm-hmm. going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll have, uh, you know, annual costs. They've got to meet. They've got, uh, they got to keep the doors open, which means they'll have to either look for another uh, anchor tenant, which, I mean, good luck. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Right now, they, they do have, in addition to the Spurs, obviously the San Antonio Livestock Show and Rodeo. That's, mm-hmm. you know, that is a big tenant at, mm-hmm. at the center. But that's one month a year. Uh, so they will have to work overtime to line up, uh, you know, kind of one-off sporting events, uh, more concerts, more large meetings or, you know, trade shows, that yeah. kind of thing, which means you've intensified the comp- the competition between the AT&T Center and the Alamo Dome. Mm. Um, there's also a thought that, you know, the city uh, will likely have to uh, – partner, you know, if, if there's going to be public financing involved, and you did a great column on, on that possibility saying, you know, this is not something that, uh, that voters are going to warm to easily. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think you're right. Like there, you know, if, if it goes to a public vote, it's going to be, it's going to be uh, kind of problematic for mm-hmm. the city and the Spurs, you know, they're, they're going to have a lot of resistance to overcome billionaire owners. They're probably going to raise a lot of money <laughs> right. and they're going to have to work it, really yeah, work it. Exactly. Exactly. However, um, you know, you've got, um, you know, you've got uh, a limited uh, debt capacity for the city. You've got uh, questionable voter appetite for any kind of tax increase to pay for it. Yeah. Uh, the city will probably, if they're going to make a deal with the Spurs that involves public financing, they will probably have to partner with the county in some way mm-hmm. and, and use their venue tax as an offset. Yeah. I wanted to correct something I said last week. We were talking about what would happen to the AT&T Center if the Spurs moved out. And uh, that's, I think that is, it would be a, an interesting question. And, and I was, I used to live in Memphis and I was thinking about uh, the city of Memphis. They had an arena that was used for the, by the ben, Vancouver uh, Grizzlies when they moved to Memphis. And then um, it was also used for the University of Memphis basketball team. And when a new arena was built downtown, for the Memphis Grizzlies and the University of Memphis, you had the pyramid, uh, this old arena not being used for anything. I, I was trying to remember what it what what happened with it, and uh, I think last week I said it became a Dick's, a Dick's Sporting Goods megastore. It's actually a Bass Pro Shops megastore, okay. and I because I, I have friends there, I, I go every now and then, <laughs> and I've actually been inside, and it's it's a real trip to see. They've it's you it's like a, a theme park basically, and you've got uh-huh. restaurants and and. Uh, all kinds of stuff going on there. I, I don't think it's it's something that could be replicated anywhere else. I, I can't see any other. I mean, you know, that's, it's pyramid shape for yeah. one thing. So I mean, it kind of lent itself to something. Yeah, it's like it's so, fun. But it's uh, yeah, p- people were telling me you got to go because you're just not going to believe uh, uh-huh. it's it's I, it's 
I don't know if it's the biggest Bass Pro Shop in in the world, and I don't want to make another mistake by saying that, <laughs> but it's it's unbelievably big. Um, so now we're gonna we're talk about um, what's happening in Eagle Pass and Operation Lone Star, which has been Governor Greg Abbott's uh, you know border enforcement policy. It's been ongoing for a, a while, billions of dollars of state money being spent on it, but it, it's intensified in recent weeks. We've had a system of uh, floating buoys in the river, separating uh, you know, uh, the Mexican and, and U.S. sides uh, of the river uh, at Eagle Pass, and uh, razor wire has been installed there. You had you had uh, a letter which uh, both the Houston Chronicle and Express News uh, reported on a letter from a, a DPS trooper uh, named Nicholas Wingate, which where he was basically. <sighs> Telling his uh, supervisors that he was just seeing all kinds of humanitarian abuses. You had uh, uh, people being pushed back into the river. They were uh, being pushed back. You had uh, kids getting cut up in in the in the razor wire. There was a, just a, an awful story of a woman going through a miscarriage, doubled over in pain while she was uh, caught up in the wire. And um, you had expressions of outrage from from. Uh, Texas Democrats, and I think it's kind of united even people who are uh, maybe not on the same uh, plane ideologically. You've had mm -hmm. Joaquin Castro and Henry Cuellar. Henry Cuellar is much more of a border hawk. They, they've, they've been in agreement that this is just this policy is has has gone way too far. And Department of Justice, they were called for the the, the Biden administration to take some some action on this. And Department of Justice has informed the the state that they they are going to they're going to sue them mm -hmm. over this policy. Um, Nancy, you spent some time last week in Eagle Pass. Mm -hmm. um, what were your observations when you were there? And you know, on that on that point about suing, um, you know, what Abbott Abbott's uh, answer to that was, "I'll see you in court." Yes, right. Um, and so. Yeah, I had to go down to Eagle Pass for myself to see this. I mean, it was disturbing to read about it mm -hmm. and to see it on the news um, and just with every story I saw. So I went down there last week. I spent two days and, and stayed overnight. Um, so I went uh, to the border, uh, two different places. One was the shelter, Mission Border Hope. Mm -hmm. um, and I met with a lady there, um, Valeria Wheeler, who is um, who directs it. She leads it. And she's a, a Mexican immigrant as well. Mm -hmm. um, what she told us is, and Jerry Lada, our photojournalist, was there. Um, what she told us is they're having a lot less, um, a lot less asylum seekers go through there. Mm -hmm. Um, so after Title 42 was lifted, you know, they, they have seen a lot less, but the people that are showing up there that make it are a lot more vulnerable. They have a lot more injury. Um, they are just. Injuries they sustained worse. even before they got to. Yes, the even before they get there. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, they get attacked when they're in Mexico and other countries and stuff because people know what what's up. You know, they know that they are vulnerable and they know they have and they don't have much, but they have everything they own. Um, the little money they have, they have on them. Right. And they're trying to survive. And so um, cartel members and just thugs, you know, they go and they assault them. Um, we talk. It was highly disturbing talking to these um, to these immigrants and these asylum seekers um, and getting their stories. Um, you know, they cried quite a bit just sharing their their stories about what they've gone through. They've, one lady um 
you know, told her, her name is Reina Dominguez. She told us that in Mexico, she was attacked. Um, and so she fell during the attack and broke her foot and her ankle. And then she couldn't get surgery, right? And so she said that the doctor said, well, the kind of surgery she needed would take two surgeons and that they wanted $1,000. Um, and she said she had no money and she just begged them and begged them. And she said she just couldn't stop crying. And she talked directly to one of the surgeons and the surgeon agreed to do it. Um, so then they they went ahead and had her surgery, and that was about three weeks before I met her. Um, now, those stitches should have come out of her foot uh, about a week before that, right? Because they should only stay about mm -hmm. two weeks. She had not had them removed. And so we actually were in the tiny office, and it's not a medical clinic office. This is this is an office, and it's multi-purpose, mm -hmm. and it's crowded, and it's not like the most of sanitary places. And, um, and so she's in there and this volunteer nurse, um, Sister Ursula, who's actually out of Bernie originally. Mm -hmm. um, so she's taking out those stitches and trying to remove them. Now, Sister Ursula cannot, I mean, God bless her, beautiful, beautiful woman and volunteer. And sometimes she'll get paid a little bit, but not much. And her, she's in it, like her heart is in it, right? But she was having trouble seeing, first of all, even with her very thick glasses. And she was trying to remove the stitches and the lighting wasn't God. great. And then the stitches were embedded. So it took a, you know, it took a lot longer than what it should have. And the whole time, this lady, Raina, she was, and she's younger than me. So she's a couple of years younger, but I mean, I just say she, she looked much older and, and she's just been through so much. And then so she's, um, sister Ursula was removing the stitches and it took a very long time and she was crying and writhing and, you know, in pain. And she was just in so much pain that I, I left them, you know, like I watched it for a while. And then I, I just said, I'm going to go because she, now everybody there was very open. They wanted to share their stories. They wanted us to see it. Um, they want us to be right there. But I mean, I just couldn't even stay in the room for all of it. And then so we timed it and it was about 20 minutes or so that it took. Um, that was way too long, you know, and, and those stitches were embedded. Um, so, you know, the issue is that what, what we kept seeing and then, you know, we went into the Urbinas, there's a couple, um, the Urbinas couple, they own all this pecan orchard, um, almost 400 or more than 400 acres of land. It's beautiful. Um, it has all these trees, um, these huge pecan trees, right? So they bought this land and they said it was supposed to be tranquil and it's called Heavenly Farms and mm -hmm. um, the river is right, butts up right against it. And so they allowed us on their property and we were there. And while we were there, I mean, we could see everything happening, right? I mean, we could see the um, asylum seekers still just marching across. They have babies, they have kids, and they're trying to get through this. They're walk, walking in the water. And we're watching this. And at one point, they look up at us and they wave, you know, and it just broke my heart to see that and to know, I mean, that razor wire, I mean, this is beyond, this is beyond inhumane. I mean, it is, that razor wire is also under the, wa the water. And so they're purposely trying to hurt and kill them. And and I get that they are trying to deter them. I get that Governor Abbott is trying to deter them from, you know, from crossing. But they are seeking asylum legally. They have a legal right to seek it. Well, I think, that yeah, the, the point is clearly no one's trying to sneak over here no. at Eagle Pass. Yeah, I mean, no. Um, there are, you know, people can disagree about the legal process. Right. I mean, the Biden administration, for example, has put in some new policies, one that people using an app, setting up an appointment time at a, at a port of entry. And so there, there, uh, 
we can get into the you know the the the, the pr- protocol to follow. Right. But the attempt that's being made is to is not to try to sneak in, but no. to try to come in in plain sight and say, I want to yes, apply for asylum. Sneaking. Nobody was sneaking. You're absolutely right. And the thing is that once they've gone through this and Sister Ursula said it and I witnessed <clears throat> it and the asylum seekers said it, once they get to that point, even when they see the barbed wire there, if they happen to see it, sometimes it's under the water, right? Um, but when they see that barbed wire, that's not going to, it's not deterring them. They're not saying, oh, there's barbed wire. I'm going to turn around and go all the way back. You spent weeks and hundreds of, they've traveled across through, hundreds of miles. Yeah. Hundreds of miles. And they've gone through the jungles. They've gone through, they've faced the, these assaults, mm-hmm. right? They've broken their ankle. They've done all these things. Some have been raped. I mean, it's really horrible stuff happening out there. And, um, you know, and they are extremely desperate. So that barbed wire, all it's doing is it's further injuring them and um, and risking their lives. And it's not deterring them. One of the things that that we saw when that the Chronicle and the Express News story broke uh, about this letter uh, from uh, the trooper uh, was we saw some Republicans defending the policy and saying, well, well good, you have to make it, you know, this, we, we should make it really tough uh, for people, whatever you have to do. And then we saw others saying, this story isn't true. This, this letter is just, you know, th- this is just this one guy saying this is not true. Mm-hmm. I sh- we should point out that after that Chronicle Express News story, New York Times did yes. a story on this and they had, they cited additional sources and said a lot of the same stuff. Yep. And one of the things that's really interesting is that that uh, the uh, Department of Public Safety uh, is really, I mean, they've really been uh, in, at war in a way with the federal uh, officials are there. I mean, they've been kind of blocking access from the Border Patrol and uh, and really preventing the Border Patrol from following the kind of humanitarian procedure that they would probably be. But but it, yeah. it, and I was thinking of that because you're talking about that couple that has the farm and um you know they they, they, they they didn't they agree to put have some wire yes. placed on their property they actually agreed yes so they they had some different agreements one was with the state so at first they the very first agreement they had was with the state they said it was okay to put um a fence on their property mm-hmm. um and then to go ahead and, and arrest the asylum seekers, the immigrants, um, for trespassing. So they did approve that at the beginning. Mm-hmm. From the beginning, they they tell me that they were upset. Um, they did not want razor wire at all. They did not want people injured. They didn't want the liability. They said there are so many people dying on their property oh that, um, like, I look at that property and these beautiful trees and the scenery, right? I mean, there is a river and it is quite pretty. It's rustic, but it's really not when you think about all the lives that have that have ended there i mean it's like it's a cemetery really if you think about it and i mean i could just feel that there and they said they lost count of how many bodies were there because mm-hmm. of the heat and because the elements and everything they've gone through and these people are not healthy right i mean they've gone through these things um it's not like they have the best of health care a lot of them have disabilities um they have health care issues i was told um you know some had hiv and some had other problems right and they're coming across some already can't walk you know, and they're being carried across. Um, there are newborn babies, there are pregnant women. Um, so, you know, one thing I found really, really interesting and, you know, I only have so much space in these, in these sure. stories, right? We have word counts, um, is when, Jerry Lada, our photojournalist and I, we went out, we're on the Odbinas, um, on their property. 
there was um, some border patrol there. And, um, and so we kind of, you know, rolled the window down, drove up and talked to them and, and we just, we told them who we were. Mm -hmm. Um, now we never talked to DPS like that, right? But we did talk to Border Patrol because we know. And so Border Patrol was like, we just said, Hey, you know, we have the permission of the Obinas mm -hmm. to be here, but we initiated that, um, conversation with them. And they said, Oh, yeah, you're good. You're good. This is where the property line ends. And then they said, do not go over that. We, we advise you, strongly advise you, do not go to where DPS is. And, and we said, yeah, we know, we know. Yeah. <laughs> and so we didn't, you know, we don't want to become the news over here. So it, 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 you, what we tend to hear from Abbott and his defenders in this is, well, Joe Biden and the federal government, they're not doing their job on immigration. So we have to do their job. But in, in some ways, they're actually sort of preventing them from doing their job or yes. standing in the way of it. Right. Yeah. They're in the, yeah, they're, they are kind of undermining what border patrol is supposed to be doing. Right. Yeah. So there was one, another thing that I did not get to include was that, um, some of the, there are some migrants or some immigrants that are trying to get into the shelter, into this uh, mission border hope, and they cannot get in there. They're at, they knock and they try to get in, but they cannot receive everybody. And so I was like, really, you're not saying yes to everybody and letting them in. And it's hot. It is really hot. Mm -hmm. um, like, I mean, it's over 100 degrees. It feels, I mean, I know that it's over 100 here, but it just feels much hotter there. Um, and so they they cannot take the people that have not been processed. And so if they are not officially seeking asylum, they cannot go in that shelter. And there are some people not getting through. And what's happening is, and now Yvonne Wheeler, you know, she told me, I'm sorry, Valeria Wheeler, who runs the, the Mission Border Hope, she told me that she doesn't know how many, but that she does know they're out there and that they cannot go in there. So they're knocking, they're trying to get water, they're trying to, you know, get help. Um, and they're out there in the elements and they make it over, but they're not... So so that DPS, DPS, the state, is keeping them away from Border Patrol. So they cannot go get processed by Border Patrol so they can get the right status, right? So they can get the court date and so they can get asylum seeker status. So they are they are definitely being kept from their due process of this whole process of trying to seek asylum. And then so they're out there in limbo. There's a 16-year-old I heard about um, and that just and they couldn't help him. And he was having seizures, um, so it's it's quite it's quite a mess out there, even more than what we realize, yeah. and um, and it makes it even hard even for the shelter to help some of them. You alluded to I think the uh, the fact that the, the numbers have gone down at the shelter, yes. and and what we've seen as far as the federal numbers, because um, Title Forty Two, which was a, a health uh, order that was used by beginning with uh, Donald Trump in, in uh, 2019 or uh, 2020 uh, when when uh, COVID-19 began, mm -hmm. used that as a way of turning away asylum seekers at the border. It, it, it continued for, for part of this first uh, Biden term. And uh, but it, it came to an end a couple of months ago. There was some thought that the numbers would go up since people would think it would be easier. We've actually seen the opposite. Mm -hmm. It could be because of some new restrictions that, that the Biden administration has put in. It could be because it's summer and it's really hot. Yeah. But we've seen like a 30% drop in, ju in June mm -hmm. compared to the, the previous month. I think we had less than 3,000 border encounters per day in June, which was like less than half of what we had in early 2022 when think the numbers were really high. Yeah. Um, Joaquin Castro, the San Antonio congressman, said, uh, and he, he was referring to this when he said on CNN uh, over the weekend, uh, even as border crossings have gone down, Greg Abbott has become more extreme and more cruel in his uh, behavior. 
Uh, and he said that uh, this is not about border security. It's a way for Gray Abbott to feed red meat to, to a base of people who he thinks uh, agree with him on this. Yeah, um, absolutely. One of the things that, that I keep coming back to is the idea that we ultimately we end up falling back on deterrence. And I, I understand the idea that, you know, we we have uh, where we have we have laws we have don't we have to have some kind of control when it comes to the border. And, uh, you know, if we have an incredible number of people coming to the border, I mean, the United States can, can, can't absorb everyone. I understand. I mean, we, I think we all understand these issues and security. Yeah. But, but when we, when our policy is based purely on deterrence on the idea that we're just going to make it so horrible, for people and people seeking asylum, mm -hmm. not people sneaking across the border or trying to bring drugs across the border, people seeking asylum, that we're just going to make it so horrible that we're going to get the message to people in those countries that they're coming from. Don't do this because it's so awful. So in, mm -hmm. in Trump's case, it might have been separating parents from their, mm -hmm. from their kids. Just let's just make it so horrifying that people aren't going to come. And I think this is part of that same mentality. I mean, wow. there are other things that can be done and and to some degree have been done over the years. I mean, as far you can um, make the the asylum uh, process more efficient and and quicker. You can certainly try to make efforts to uh, provide uh, the kind of aid in some of these you know Latin American countries that can mm -hmm. possibly make life better for for some of these people. I mean, that that's very complicated. We could spend a whole podcast now, but mm -hmm. but th this is something that you could that you could look at. We. Uh, Past week, we we saw Tony Gonzalez, the congressman, uh, try to make the work visa process mm -hmm. easier. Uh, I think that certainly helps. Um, there are a lot of things you can do, but just to say we're just going to make it so awful and just right. that we're just going to scare people out of coming. It's. I mean, we're in a position where, and this is just my view. Um, we've intentionally, as a state, and because the Abbott is doing this in in our name, uh, mm -hmm. that's right, mm -hmm. uh, an intentionally cruel uh, policy. I mean, when you say make it make it as horrible as possible to create like an ironclad deterrent, that's really what we're talking about. Intentional mm -hmm. cruelty. That's what this policy is. Yeah. And um, that's I think they're for some people, that's what they want. They, 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 it's, it's kind of the the yeah. the uh, the ends justify the means. Um, but uh, I mean, it, it will be interesting to see if if. Uh, you know, uh, w what the reaction is to this going forward, because I, I just I, I want to believe that people when they're when they're confronted with these images and these stories, the people, I think, have the ability to say, yes, we want to have some we want to have some border security. We want to have some some order along the border, but we don't want to see this being done to people. I mean, that's absolutely I know the Urbina's couple, they're Republican and they are not fans of Biden. Definitely not. Um, they are. And but they're also not fans of Abbott. Right. And now. they don't want that wire. You know, they're like, they're this, right. is, this is yeah. too much. And yeah. so I that's why I also think that they're super important in the story, because mm -hmm. it's not like they are this far left or Democrats or yeah. they're far from it. You yeah. know, they just say this is absolutely out of the question. Like this right. should not be happening. Goes too far. And that's the thing where ideology, because we, we have our our, our, yeah. our our views on things. But when we're confronted in our own lives with something, right. uh, sometimes that can shake up our preconceptions. And I think so. They they probably had some ideas about things, but now they're 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 dealing with some things 
themselves that maybe uh, it's making them rethink some they things. They did send me some videos. I mean, they were, it's their land, right? Yeah. So they have, they have been up close. It's not like they stay away. They actually see it. Mm-hmm. So they actually sent me some videos from where, you know, some kids were getting pulled out of the water and, um, and they were pretty intense yeah. and they are right there watching it and mm-hmm. they're trying, you know, they did lease some land to border patrol as well. And, and border patrol put out some tents and, um, and they just said, well, it's just so they could, you know, give them some water and help them get processed. And then, um, and then they say the word is, oh, you know, they're for open borders. And mm. they said, we're not for open borders. Yeah. We're just not for like killing people. Yeah. Trying yeah. to get across. Well, by the time you all hear this, uh, it's possible there could be a federal uh, lawsuit uh, uh, against the state over this, and and I think I think there will be some legal action very soon on it. Um, we're going to wrap things up there. Hope everyone's doing well. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll be back next week. Take care. <laughs>